Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, everyone. My guest and co-host today is the wonderful Julie Bowen, who you know from Modern Family, Ed, Boston Legal, and a ton of other things. Julie and I discuss female rivalry, the pressure to be sexy, an audition reminiscent of basic instinct, people who are too good-looking, marriage, divorce, and a lot more. Our first caller today is Jordan, who introduced a friend to his crush, which unfortunately resulted in them falling for each other. Now Jordan is wondering how to process this new dynamic while keeping both of his friendships. Next to call in is Sarah, who is getting close to her wedding date, but considering eloping after her father issued an ultimatum involving her guest list. Thank you for listening to our podcast and telling your friends about it. If you have a question and would like to talk with us, we would love to hear from you. Just look for the link at unqualified.com. If you want to hear more from Julie, check out her great new podcast, Quitters. Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to Unqualified with your host, Anna Ferris. I want to ask you and talk to you about your incredible podcast. But first, I want to give you a long compliment. Oh, dear. And I'm going to squirm and get very uncomfortable. But okay. I think you're just unbelievably talented. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, wow. I love it. Oh, wow. <gasps> when you accepted your Emmys, you have a generosity of spirit. And it was during a time in my memory where there's a lot of attention with like desperate housewives catfighting. The narrative of women. Oh, yeah. Beating on each other. Sure. Right. And your love with Sophia the idea of breaking that down. And you told Adam Levine when you were on his show, uh -huh. you got to lean into it. And I wanted to talk to you about that idea. Oh, wow. That's so nice of you to say and to notice that people were so quick in the early years of Modern Family to pit us against each other. I mean, like Betty and Veronica, you have to hate each other. There's only room for one successful female at a time. And Sophia, she is an alpha. She's a full alpha, but she's super comfortable with herself. She doesn't need to compete with anybody because there's plenty of room at the table for anybody because nobody's Sophia. And I think that that's terrific. And I think that's how we should all feel. Like, there's plenty of room at the table. There's only one Anna Ferris. There's only one. And I used to, like, show her my baggy, <laughs> ill-fitting mom underwear. And she'd be like, I please, that is disgusting. <laughs> one of her many companies is some kind of underwear company. And I thought that it was something that wardrobe was just leaving thongs in my trailer because they wanted me to wear a thong. And I was like, they know I'm not going to wear a fucking thong. Yeah, I'm with you. And it turns out it was Sophia. 
They were beautiful, brand new. They're red, purple, blue, black, nude. And I was like, why does wardrobe keep leaving these for me? And Sophia was like, they're from me. And I was like, oh, (laughs) right. And she literally would say, you are a woman dressed like one. And I was like, I am kind of like a dirty boy and I'm okay with that. And she's like, fine. But we sort of early on, I remember on the pilot looking at her one day and I said something about, you don't strike me as the kind of gal that really likes a cable knit sweater. (laughs) No one else was around. And she goes, no, and laughed. And I was like, I like her. I like her. I support her. She's a good person. And the fact that she's a sex bomb, gorgeous human being doesn't have to be threatening. It doesn't mean anything. This is the sentiment that I love. Yeah, I just love her. I've learned so much from her. She's unapologetic about who she is. She just doesn't get involved in bullshit. She's a boss. She's the one who, year one, she made the most money after Ed on the cast and said, this is what we're doing. Everybody's coming up to my level. And then next year, we go in and renegotiate as one. Amazing. And she was dead right. She just has an ability to take a 30,000-foot view and not get involved in bullshit. And I've learned so much from her. And I have such a deep love and respect for her. And it did always feel like a silly thing I mean, come on, how many times have you been at the Emmys? And you're like, it feels like it's so important and it's not, it's so silly. And yet it is an honor and you kind of balancing all that. Like, is this a popularity contest that matters? Or am I just so lucky to have a job? 100%. It is so easy, especially in my 20s. You enter into an audition room filled with 30 gorgeous people. I mean, the whole culture sort of nurtures this female competitiveness. It's very expectant. Yeah, and that there's only room for one at a time. And also, you are auditioning for the girl. Mm-hmm. You know, there's the guy, and then there's all of his friends, and then there's his sports team. And then there's the nemesis girl. Right, the bad girl. There's maybe the best friend, but she can't be too cute. Right. So all of those tropes are exhausting. And I have to say, I learned something really valuable going into the audition for Happy Gilmore. I was waiting away. The girl in front of me was taking forever. And I was like, shit, why am I even here? I should leave. Like, she's obviously it. And I walked in after, and I don't think I was wearing overalls, but it was the 90s. It was close. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it was like maybe some thrift shoppy pants, a t-shirt with like a old gas station jacket over it. I was definitely into my 90s thrifting. And I sat down, they all just sort of stared at me. I was like, fuck, I'm doing this wrong. And I audition, and they have me do it again. We all start laughing, and it's going pretty well. And they warmed up, and then finally one of them goes, thank God. I go, what do you mean, thank God? What's going on? They're like, the girl before you came in, and she was sexy, 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 tight, tight, tight skirt, the whole thing, and heels. And they said she fully, basic instinct, the whole room. (laughs) And they were shook. They were totally (gasps) shook. They didn't know what to do or where to look, and their eyeballs were bleeding. They were shook so much that they told you, you know what I mean? Like, we don't get a lot of info when you're auditioning. Right. (laughs) Oh, no, no. They were like, I'm sorry. We were just, were so shook. This was crazy. And I was like, so you guys did not like that. And they're like, oh, God, no. We were so uncomfortable. Like, 
she was doing because she really wanted the job and thought that's how she was going to get it. <sighs> that made me really sad. Yeah. But also made me feel like I was on to something by just kind of sticking with my vibe. I was never going to be able to compete with that stuff and I didn't want to. I mean, I've seen you do it though too. Not basically <laughs> take to no room. But what was the movie? House Bunny? Yes. I mean, you went all the way to like sex pot. I can only imagine. I fundamentally cover up that movie, I had 72 wardrobe outfits, and I had these stripper heels that were unbelievable. Yes. And what was your underwear like? What were your bras like? Was it like water bras? Oh, I had to be sewn into it every morning. It was very carefully constructed, and I felt very uncomfortable around the crew for like the first two weeks, you know? Yeah. I just wasn't used to exposing that much flesh. Right. It's not that I'm a modest person. I'm just more lazy. But it shifted me. I felt sexier, which I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I think there's stepping into sexy that is not bad. Experimenting with how the power, there's a lot of power there. And if you're not afraid of it, that's what I was just saying with that girl, the one in front of me. I sort of wish that she had been doing a, right. let's have a power play. Yeah. There's a lot of power in putting a room full of dudes on their back foot. Mm -hmm. I think the way I was raised, it feels sort of cheaply acquired power. Yes, it does. And it feels like it's only based on the surface. Mm -hmm. And that isn't something you can really bank on. That's not talent or hard work. It's just sort of taking advantage. But there's also, we are sexual beings. And if putting that outfit on makes you feel sexy, then you get to do that too. Yes. You get to be sexy if that's what works for you. We get to do all those things and we shouldn't have to apologize for them. Or as my therapist always says, me hiding out in big baggy clothes and looking like a boy is not any more mature than a girl wearing skimpy clothes and basic instincting a whole room. It's just a different way of approaching your own body. And neither one is comfortable. Neither one is really, truly at ease. And that's, of course, where I want to be. How old were you when you first felt like you were in love? Oh, boy. Wow, what a question. I went to boarding school, and I thought I was in love with Alex Matthews, who was my first sort of boyfriend. We were 15, 16. He got expelled. Ooh. Then later, when you have more long-term relationships, like, well, that wasn't love. But it was pretty intense. Like, I felt it. Yep. You feel it hard at that age. That's when it's almost the most raw. Yes. And that's when Romeo and Juliet were 14. The greatest love stories are about teenagers because that's when all the hormones are going and all the feelings are huge. I guess the silver lining to aging <laughs> is that everything gets dulled. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it does. But then something cuts through again. Like, so you're remarried how long? We got married during quarantine. We eloped. Okay, so I'm divorced and I never talk about it because my ex-husband is not in the public eye. And I don't feel that he has the same platform to discuss things. And therefore, it's not fair to him because I can tell my side of the story all day long. But there are two sides to every story, and he would not get the same public opportunity to do so. Your marriage was very public. Did that change how you talk about it, or do you just not talk about it? I don't. I'm pretty quiet about it, and parts of it I'm still digesting. This is my third marriage. My first marriage felt very sharp. 
it felt like a source of stability. Okay. Like, I can check this off the list, even though it wasn't. It was incredibly dramatic that I was just, by the end of it, so tired. How long was that marriage? We were together for nine years and married for two and a half. Whoa. Yeah. But you know that the difference, but I've always wondered, you've had a divorce with a kid and you've had a divorce without a kid. I have dismissively said, oh, divorcing without a kid is basically a breakup. Yes. Is it as different as I think it is? I think it depends on the resource. Like Jack was used to us being apart. Got it. Because you're working in all over the place. And so was he. Exactly. He'd already slept in more hotels by the mm-hmm. age of four. Right. Because I always stayed in hostels. <laughs> <laughs> You did not. I totally did. Yeah, I was a little backpacker. Did you really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yep. That's amazing. It wasn't always a blast, actually. I remember when I backpacked, having intense loneliness and not knowing how to make friends at all. There's a theme here, Anna. Like, you are a lone wolf, but you attach to monogamy. But does the structure of a monogamous relationship allow you to experience your loneliness in a safe way? Oh, what a beautiful question. Now it does. Yeah. I have a lot of thoughts that I'm truly still formulating, but I've always felt like a very quiet person. The best thing about going to my 20th high school reunion, which I was totally roped into. I can't believe you went. I didn't know anybody. I wasn't popular. The best thing, though, was having at least three people tell me that they remember me as really quiet. Oh, wow. (laughs) So it's like affirming for you. What I believed in myself. Right. If everybody would be like, you were always going to be famous. We were always going to be starting. They'd be like, no, you were always quiet. It's like, that is so valuable when somebody validates your reality. Exactly. Oh, wow. Are you getting enough of your aloneness now? I don't really need it the same way anymore. My husband and I are together all the time. But if one of us is gone, even for an afternoon, I'll really miss him. Yeah. It's really nice. It feels like everything is coming apart at the seams. And anything that can help people feel more connected to the fact that we are all part of one giant web of being, I'm for it. It really goes to, it speaks to your brilliant podcast, which is phenomenal. (laughs) Oh, you're so nice. Which is called Quitters. And would it be incorrect to describe it as the idea of a priority shift in your life? Like when that moment happens? Yeah. What is the moment when you decide to leave something that you thought was very self-defining I know of some very public things that you quit a marriage. You quit your show. Yeah. Those moments where you go, I'm tired. I can no longer sustain this and grow and be somebody that I need to be. You know what's interesting, Julie, because I was thinking about this concept of that kind of massive decision making. Yeah. And how I believe that usually people know Mm -hmm. it has to be nurtured and fertilized and confirmed. Right. So I love this idea. I used to ask this question on the podcast, do you have a greatest regret? But it ended up kind of going nowhere because most people can't look at their lives. That's a hard thing to do. I have a greatest regret. Dating deadly attractive men. Terrible idea. Sorry. I mean, my ex-husband, I adore. We're good friends. He was very cute. But I mean, like, supermodel boys. I do genuinely think that people who are very beautiful from birth are treated differently and they don't develop a solid sense of self. I remember I was living with this guy. He was so good looking and we were both actors and we would go off and audition, come back. And this is the late 90s. 
and the phone would ring and I'd answer it, the house phone. And it would be some female casting director that we've both gone in for a thousand times. And they'd say, hi, is so-and-so there? And I'd be like, yeah, Matthew's calling. They're like, yeah, it's Katie Casting Director. And I was like, okay. And I'd say, hey, so-and-so, Katie Casting Director's on the phone for you. And he'd be like, okay, great. And he'd pick it up and they would chat and flirt and then hang up. i go, <laughs> what the fuck was that? And he said, don't they call you all the time too? No, no, they do not. They most certainly do not. And maybe it's because so many cast directors are female or whatever. But I was like, whoa, you really are living in a completely different reality than I am. We're both going out trying to get jobs. And you're literally, they're like slathering over you because of the way you look. And it's always been that way. And so I really do regret falling in love with somebody that beautiful because People like that are not fully formed. That's my opinion. (laughs) (laughs) I find, because I have definitely been guilty of that. I was such a late bloomer. So if a cute guy liked me at age 17, I was all in. Oh, yeah. Like, I would do anything. And I did. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I did. But my experience was that I really needed to be adored. Mm. I needed that. Do you still need it? Yeah, I do. I think I do. But you get it from the right place now. My husband tells me all the time. He's a DP, right? Yeah. He's always like, look at you. Oh, I love that. And I love a DP. Yeah. Okay, now we are going to take some calls from our listeners. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Jordan. Hey, Jordan. Hi. Jordan, you're here with Julie Bowen, who is just awesome. Hi, Julie. Hi, Jordan. I'm just reading your letter. You want to tell us about it? Listen to Julie. I love this. Julie, come be with me forever. (laughs) So basically, I have this friend and I've known him for a couple of years. And we've kind of had like an on and off friendship. We both were having feelings for each other, but we never took it to the next step with being in a relationship. And recently I was talking to this guy and we were hanging out and I was like, well, this guy's really cool. Maybe I can introduce him to my friend and we can all be friends. It'd be cool. And then apparently they met up at like a bar and they were talking and everything. And then a few days later, my friend texted me saying like, oh, I met up with so-and-so and we hit it off really well. And he's like, I decided to ask him to be my boyfriend. Ooh. 
This is like the story of my life, Jordan. Yeah, like he texted me while I was at work. So, oh, this is like a thousand knives to my heart right here. And it just totally blindsided me. This is crazy. Like I've been trying to be with you for the longest time and we had feelings for each other. Did you articulate that in any way? We would talk about it. Like he'd always tell me like, I really do want to be in a relationship with you. It's like, I'm afraid to hurt you because of my past relationships. And I told him, well, yeah, I mean, if anything ever happens, we can always talk about that down the line. If we wanted to be in a relationship, we could talk about it if it came up, but it never came up. And so this happening, it just kind of blindsided me because I'm like, you've only known this guy for a few days and here you are asking him to be your boyfriend. Can I ask you a sensitive question? Sure. Have you had boyfriends in the past? Not exactly. I haven't really had any successful relationships with boys. So my understanding... From my gay friends, because I had a friend who was in very similar to your position. And it sounds like you made an indication that the guy that you have a crush on, your friend, has had many relationships. Yes. The person with more experience does not want to be the first one for somebody else because they don't mm-hmm. want to ruin them or hurt them somehow. Does that track with your situation? Yeah, that kind of makes sense with what you're saying. Yeah. Do you agree with that? For you, like this would be your first real boyfriend. I liked him and we hung out so much. We met during the pandemic when the pandemic was starting. And he was kind of like the person that I hung out with a lot and we connected. We had a lot of things in common. And he had always like said, you know, you're kind of like the perfect boyfriend material, but never took it that step further. It sounds like you may be a little bit more into him than he is into you. You know what I mean? Because otherwise you guys would be together. Yeah, that's kind of like what my best friend says. You have a friend who's watching all of this, a third friend. Yeah, she's my best friend. I've known her for like six years and she's kind of like my therapist. I tell her everything and she's like saying what you guys said, like maybe you were more into him than he was into you uh-huh. in a way. So she's like, you probably just need to take a step back and figure out what you want. Did the guy that you introduced your crush Has that guy had a lot of relationships as well? Not from what I've known. I believe he has, but we haven't really gotten close to that point where we were talking about past relationships. But from what I guess, I think he has too. I want to know how this information was conveyed. Like you said, it was over text. Like, do you guys always communicate on text? Like, was there a hesitancy? Basically with him, the communication is always through text. Like he's really hard person to get to talk to on a phone call. I I usually like to talk to him on the phone and sometimes we do with FaceTime and everything, but it's very rare. So most of his communication is through text. So what was that text like? It was basically like that saying like, hey, you know, I just want to make sure you're doing okay. But I just want to let you know, I met up with so-and-so over the weekend and I asked him to be my boyfriend and we didn't want to hurt you and we hope we can still be friends. At least he was being considerate, but that was fast. And uh, I'm sure super painful. That is painful. This doesn't sound like your guy. I think the question is, what is it about this guy that makes you feel like he is your guy? Have you been out for a long time? Yeah, I've basically been out probably since I was maybe 19 or 20. Mm-hmm. And I never really had experience with dating or anything like that because... I was always afraid to just go out. Like I'd always ask my parents, like, is it okay if I go out with my friends or whatever? And they're like, yeah, why are you scared to ask us to go out? Like you're allowed to go out. Why were you scared? I was always more of an introvert. Uh Uh-huh. And I just liked staying in. And I think I was afraid of maybe the whole rejection of it all. Well, it sounds like you put it right in front of you. Yeah. You found somebody who rejects you in little ways all the time by not 
talking on the phone, being hard to communicate with. And it's safer to like someone where you know you're going to get rejected, even if it's way back in your lizard brain. Yeah. Like, you know that they're going to reject you. Then what would happen if he had really said, yeah, Jordan, let's do this. I'm going to make a dinner. I'm going to light some candles. We're going to drink some wine. It is on. How would you actually have felt? I think my head would have exploded. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So you're keeping yourself safe right now. Yeah. I think you got to listen to that voice. You're protecting yourself. This isn't as much about you being like, oh, I'm so hurt. You always knew that he gave you all the signals. You even received the signals that were like, you're going to reject me. You introduced him to his new boyfriend. Right. Yeah. This was tragically premeditated. Basically. Yes. (laughs) I know. I'm like the clown. (laughs) No, it's just that you're protecting yourself. I mean, honestly, it's like this is tragically premeditated to protect yourself. So listen to that person who needs to be protected. Because if a romantic dinner and a night in bed together is making your head explode, you need to figure out what it is that little person in you is scared of. Yeah. I have like a proactive idea, Jordan, because we obviously can't twist their hearts, even though that would be a rad power. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Julie and I were talking earlier about the idea of when you get to the age, when you start to realize how you can personally combat jealousy, Mm. which is by what Julie said, like leaning into it. I want you to be super awesome. You know what I mean? You will be happier for it. If you're like actively involved in their lives, like help find me somebody, you know, be a joy to be around. Yeah. And it will make you feel better and you're not closing off your world. Yeah, there's nothing to be jealous of. And you know that in your heart. So being supportive of them, for whatever it's worth, will only invite them to be supportive of you. Yeah. Yeah. It's a power move in kind of a powerless situation. And really, you knew that this was not your dude. The question is, who is your dude? Let's find him. I know. Who is your dude? And how do you put yourself in the way of the right guy instead of hiding behind an attraction to the wrong guy? Yeah. You need to get that girlfriend, your best friend, and those two that just hooked up. And you guys need to all go out, have a meal outside, keep it light. Focusing on the positive truly will give you power because you'll be so fun to be around. Yeah. And you're going to be like projecting joy. Everybody wants to be around that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it will sink in with you even though you're experiencing this kind of devastation, you know? Yeah. And I think me taking, like, I took a little time back, just like not communicating with them less, just to kind of sort my feelings about it and everything. And I reached out to him the other day, say, hey, like, let's the three of us go see a movie. Good. I'm very supportive of him and he's very supportive of me, whatever I decide to do. So, yeah, like, I don't want to lose him as a friend because I care about him a lot. Good. I don't want to be catty because no one wants to be around the person who's negative all the time. No, nobody does. Julie, you said something earlier about the idea of safety. Falling for your best friend is incredibly, wonderfully safe. But usually if you're not already lovers, it's like, where are we going? Where are we going? Exactly. To put it in giant terms, it's like if I said, I'm holding out for Harry Styles. (laughs) 
You're so right because it's safe. It's like the unobtainable. It's safe because that's never actually going to happen. And therefore, I'm Mm -hmm. protecting myself. So you kind of collapse that down and saying, yeah, I'm really into my friend, even though you know that's not your dude. But it protects you from what? What are you actually scared of? Dating a stranger? Tinder? Grinder? What are you afraid of? Oh, (laughs) gosh. All of it. (laughs) It is scary. But I can see what Julie's saying, like the whole falling for your best friend, because it's kind of almost like a safety net. Yeah, it's safe. Mm -hmm. It's safe because it's not going to happen. I'm going to tell you something really goofy. This is my mental trick that has saved me. Okay, I'm looking around. You're into The Mandalorian. You're into Star Wars. You're super into all of it. Okay. So (laughs) you're already in touch with this, like, young part of yourself, which is good. Yeah. When you go to bed tonight or when you get off the phone with us, do you have a picture of you at, like, six? I think I do, yeah, yeah. Take a look at it. Close your eyes. That's the kid we're talking to. He's the one who's driving your life right now. He's driving the bus. You need to talk to that kid. What do you need? You're already giving him a lot of what he needs. You're a kind, gentle soul. But what is he really afraid of? If you can take care of him, he will stop trying to drive your bus into the side of a building in the form of falling in (laughs) love with your best friend. Oh my God, Julie, you're blowing my mind. (laughs) Turns out there's a scientific thing that's happening in your brain and I can't figure it out. But it really helps because we are being driven by our most fear-filled selves. Yeah. They have the keys to the car and this idea, wait, you are real. You need something. You don't get to drive the car. You don't get to make the decisions. You do not. You are five. And you are screaming and needy, and I am here to take care of you, but I'm driving. Because the five-year-old is like, I want him. I want the one that's going to reject me. And you're like, (laughs) no, what do you really need? I don't know what your history is, but whatever it is, you take care of that kid, and he will stop driving the bus. It's magic. It works. Wow, yes. That's a lot. (laughs) It is a lot. And it gets weird and trippy and 70s, like inner child shit. But it's the truth. We carry around, mask. how old you are? I'm 30. 30 years of Jordans. The line of them. Yeah, I can get what you're saying. Like my fearful six-year-old self or my younger self is scared of being rejected. So it's like, I want to go to the safest thing possible. You chose your rejector. Yeah. Oh man, Julie, that's such a good line. He's right there. And you're like, okay, see, I knew you were going to reject me. And this is safe because this is playing out a thing that I was afraid of and I knew it was going to happen. And here I am back in my loop. Yeah. Be free. Be free, Jordan. (laughs) Yes. Thank you. The best is in store. Take care of yourself. Be happy. Live in the moment. Yes. And love these friends. There will be moments that will be hard. Yeah. But think about the kind of person that you want to grow into, you know? Yeah. Jordan, I think the future is going to be great. You're going to make baby steps to projection and like putting your feelers out there for what you want. Yeah, definitely. You got it. I love it. Jordan, thank you. Thanks for sharing. Thank you. Bye, Jordan. Bye. Julie, you are amazing. (laughs) A lot of therapy. I'm just saying what I paid money for, and now I'm sharing with the world. I paid a lot of money for that knowledge. That was just awesome. 
I'd never listened to your podcast and prepping for this. You're hilariously funny. So I thought it was going to be <laughs> silly. God, sorry. And it's so heartfelt and earnest. And I was like, oh my God, honest, a real whole person. When I went through my first divorce, <laughs> listen to me. My first. My first divorce. Darling. Darling, my first divorce. Exactly. I felt like a completely different person. I was behaving very out of character. For instance, I used to host a lot of dinner parties. I love to cook. I have a shit ton of cooking gear. So after your first divorce, that started or that stopped? I had mustard in my fridge and like a six pack oh. of beer. Oh. I was going out. There was this exciting thrill, you know, being single suddenly. How old were you when you got into that relationship? 21. Had you gone straight from your parents' home to... A dorm room. To <laughs> yeah. Hollywood and then right into this relationship. To me, and I'm like the product of so much therapy, but I'm not actually a therapist. It's like a delayed adolescence and you waited until you were safe enough to have it. It wasn't safe for whatever reason. I have no idea to have when a lot of people were having it and like doing keg stands and sleeping around and smoking weed before breakfast. I was the same way. I waited until my mid-20s was when I finally was supporting myself, making my own money. And I felt like I was in a place where I could fucking start acting out. And I did. Yeah. And that relationship, like my first serious relationship, it felt like my hand was forced. Mm. Like my pride was so sort of ground down. Like this person wants to not be with me, but for whatever reason, I need to vocalize that. <laughs> Your first husband, he didn't really want to be with you and you were like, but we have to get married. No, no, that was interesting because I was not a person who wanted to get married. Mm. There's a lot about divorce. What are your thoughts? What are your takeaways? Because I want to be able to view it as some kind of victory, even though it's very hard because it is very complicated. It's horrendous. Divorce is horrendous. And I feel about it the way right now I feel about the Supreme Court deciding that we, you know, shouldn't have the right to choose, that they should make it every bit as hard to get married as it is to get divorced. There should be a balance. There should be some sort of set of hoops that you have to jump through. The idea that a state like California could see you as one person and you dress it up as a party, but it's really a contract with the government. Oh, I know. And it's insane that we make it anything else. And it's so easy. It's so easy. It's like, oh, just sign right here? Okay. Sign here. <laughs> you are one entity. Now and forever, you share debt. Uh -huh. You share should you procreate. It's insane. And I still think that marriage is amazing and the right people should be married. But for me, I was probably divorced for a year before I was saying it. I'm like, we're not together and it took me so long to say it felt like a failure. Yeah. And getting some distance from it and going, it is what it is. Getting through it, it's deeply private, especially when you are in the public eye. It becomes deeply, deeply private because you have to be very careful who you talk to. Yeah. You can't just run your mouth at a dinner party or whatever. You have to be careful because people will gossip and chatter and nobody wants that. Nobody wants to see more of it. I mean, I already know too much about your life, you know, because you're famous. 
and there it is. And I don't buy any of those magazines. I don't buy them. I won't look at them. I won't click. But you're at the checkout. I'm like, holy shit, I know everything there is to know about Harry and Meghan just from being at the checkout, not even opening the magazine. And I hate, hate that about our culture. But truly, like, I think the lemonade out of it that has to also be considered is the idea of making a hard decision. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And following through with it. Well, there's a theory in business of sunk costs and that they're a lie, that if you're in a business that's going south, but you've already put $20 million in, oh, I can't stop now because I'll lose that $20 million. No, you've already lost that $20 million. That's called sunk costs. And don't try and put more money into it to try and rescue it. And I spent a while in my marriage thinking, I can't leave. There's so much I've put of myself in this. I can't go. There's too much that's here. Some of the too much that's here is kids, and that is true. <laughs> you don't ever want to leave them. But the idea that somehow adding more time and effort on top of the time and effort that you've put in is going to make it better is, at a certain point, for me, was a lie. And it was a lie I was telling myself because that was easier than making what you just said, the really hard choice of going, this did not work out as planned and there's no way to rescue it. You get to just tie it all up in a bow in 15 minutes, but you can spend years untangling. And I wish my eyes were more open to that. But I do think that the experiment, whether it's successful or not, of trying to share a life with somebody is valuable. Me too. Okay, let's get to slightly lighter fare. Okay. These are deal breakers. Okay, deal breakers. So, Julie, you're on a first date. Okay. And you discover that he only wears Birkenstocks. Is that a deal breaker? Only? Only. Exclusively. Exclusively. It's like a posture, soul, arch support thing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay, so that's his reasoning. He believes in the idea of breathability in general. I kind of don't care. I could go with that. All right. It's not killing me. He is training to be a contestant on Alone. Do you know the show Alone? Of course I do. Of course, you have three boys. And they made me watch all of it. I mean, I kind of love that. Okay. I kind of love somebody who's got that much intense passion. Also, I have three kids. Like, I don't need you around me all the time. You go do your three months and see if you can live on slugs in the Arctic Circle or whatever. Yeah, go on. Let's say you're into this and you've been dating for like two months or whatever. And you go okay. to his farm or whatever in uh -huh. Idaho and uh -huh. he's been gutting squirrels all day. Mm -hmm. Do I have to eat the squirrels? Yeah. No. You know, he's proud of the squirrel meat. That's great. That sounds like it's some private time business for him. <laughs> the only thing you like about this guy is that he's gone a lot. <laughs> well, I like people who have a passion. Yeah. And I like people who have a passion that does not involve acquiring stuff. I don't like it when someone's like, you know what I really love? Buying junk. I'm like, ew. We don't call it junk, Julie. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot you're a hoarder. I forgot. Um, we don't call it junk. You're right. Treasure. Yes. <laughs> I love the idea of somebody saying it's me and nature in the end. I think that's cool. But I am not eating your squirrel meat. Okay. Fair enough. Okay. He breeds tarantulas as a hobby. Oh, that's fucking disgusting. I'm sorry. Blessings to all you who breed tarantulas. That's not going to fly from me. All bugs, 
who breeds bugs as a hobby? That's just... Full disclosure, Julie, we have tarantulas growing up. Life's too short and there's too many people on this earth. Go with God. I don't need it. For scientific purposes, okay. But as a hobby, ew. He lives in a converted school bus. My gut reaction is, fuck that. But then there's part of me going, I knew a guy who lived in that. And he tutored, was like a school on wheels. And he went around to different countries, went to Mexico and taught kids how to use computers. And he was the best guy. If he's just smoking weed and learning to play the, like, mouth harp, no. That is what he's doing. Oh, then no. Really into QAnon. No, QAnon is a drop-dead no. (gasps) The letter Q coming out of somebody's mouth, unless it is, I hate QAnon, no. Will you tell us about a struggle maybe in, like, your teens or 20s that you got through? Well, in my late teens, all the way through my teens, in fact, I had a pretty raging eating disorder and was eventually hospitalized for depression and anxiety in combination with the eating disorder. It was not a good three-way combo. And it was pre-SSRIs, pre-Prozac or Lexapro or Selex, any of those things. And I really did try. I did not want this disease. I felt it with me every day. I wake up and it was my constant companion. I hated it. It also was the only thing that helped me manage anxiety. Turns out if you're starving, you're not anxious. You're nothing. You're at such a subsistence level, you're like, I'm good. So when SSRIs came around, for me specifically Prozac, when I was 19, I think I was 19, I immediately went on them. was hesitant, but I went on them and it was like the light went on. It's not like everything went away. It's just I didn't realize that I was trying to navigate the world in the dark. Now I'm still navigating and there's still struggles, but the lights are on. I can see. And I had no idea that the lights were off. And I'm happy to tell that story because I know there's a lot of people who think that psychopharmaceuticals are dangerous or bad. And obviously you got to talk to a doctor to get them. But for me, it's an investment of four to six weeks. And to feel that light turn on, I will never forget the moment when I was like, oh, I still have all the same thoughts and feelings, but I'm not obsessed with them. I'm not constantly spinning. So I'm happy to tell that tale if it's of any help to anyone. I think that's a huge help to recognize something very specific. I mean, just in one's life, actually, whether Mm. it's like a mentor or whatever it is that you can actively credit with a positive change. Absolutely. I mean, I don't know where I would be. I don't know if I'd still be going to bed, waking up, thinking about whether or not I ate, you know, crazy things in your head. And all of that obsessiveness went away. The habit was still there, but I'd be like, okay, so I'm going to separate the sandwich into parts of my head. And I was like, this is ridiculous. (laughs) Well, how liberating. Oh, I don't know who invented Prozac or SSRIs, but a love letter, a huge love letter to those people. They they saved my life. I'm so glad that you talked about this. Thank you. Thank you. I have to say, just for any of your listeners who are there, it's not a magic pill that fixes you. It is a kind of magic pill that allows you. Like your training wheels or something. Right. And it gives you the space to start to work it out. Instead of being in your limbic system, in your fight or flight, in your animal brain that's like, ah, freaking out, it gives you just enough space to go, okay, that's not realistic. And what can I do differently? 
Okay, now we're going to talk with Sarah. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag? Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, Sarah. How are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you? We're great. Julie is amazing. Anna is so nice to let me into her world. I love this. I like talking to strangers. Tell us about your wedding. Yeah. So my fiance and I just recently got engaged. So we were starting the wedding process. And one of the things that we started was the guest list. Oh boy, I know this story. Yeah. (laughs) He comes from a very small family. Whereas I come from a very large Italian family. So we both don't want a very large wedding. We want to keep it pretty small. So we kind of decided we were just going to do my aunts and uncles and cousins and no extended family because that would just get way out of hand. So we were happy with that. We were ready to move forward. So one day I was talking to my dad and my dad asked about the guest list and, you know, who we were inviting and if we were inviting my dad's cousin, which would be my super extended family. And I don't even know these people. I know them by name. That's about it. So I said, no, we kind of went back and forth. And then he ultimately said that if I don't invite his cousins, then he wouldn't come to my wedding. So he kind of gave me this huge ultimatum, kind of threw me off guard. So we don't know what to do at this point, because if we give in to what he wants, then it kind of makes us look like we can easily cave. And if we don't invite the extended family, then is he going to come? Or if he does come, is he just going to be miserable the whole time? So we're kind of at a crossroads. Don't really know what to do at this point. Does he give a specific rationale? Like it's not a wedding without all these family members Mm. or I really Mm. want this cousin and this cousin. I haven't seen them forever or weddings are traditionally like huge party. Like how is he justifying it in his head? He justifies it that they're family. You know, he grew up with them. Like he's making it all about him, really. And then also like in terms of my nanny, which is his mom, how it would make him look to like the Italian family that I didn't include certain people at my wedding. Is he like recently retired or unhappy at his job? <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> A few years ago, he retired. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And now he's become like this family man. <laughs> you nailed that. And now he's yeah. just got way too much time to worry about this. 100%. You were not privy to our earlier discussion, Sarah, but Anna's been married three times. I've been married once. And we were talking about what does a wedding mean and what does it mean to you? So what do you want from this wedding? Honestly, even my partner and I, we were kind of talking about it. It's like, do we want a wedding? We were talking, who is a wedding ultimately for? It's for us. But yet we're putting on this huge celebration for other people. Yeah. Expensive too. 100%. Yes. Can I ask who's paying? 
ultimately it would be me and my partner. My parents have supported me in other issues in my life. So yeah, it would be us putting the bill too. So that's another reason why I don't really agree with him controlling the guest list too much. Are your parents still married? Oh yeah. Yeah. What's your mom say about this? My mom is not supportive of my dad's position on this at all. She's on my side. Oh, Oh. this is interesting. My mom's not Italian. Not that that really matters, but I feel like he's trying to throw the Italian card in there. The thing about weddings has always been that people will show their hand because when there's like stress in a situation, we tend to find a narrow channel to focus on. Like, that's the avenue I'm going down. I'm not going to go to Sarah's wedding because she's not inviting. Pretty much. (laughs) And I know it seems petty. It's not very reasonable, especially like in this day and age. It's just not reasonable. He's probably feeling like he's losing his identity. Mm -hmm. What used to define him doesn't anymore. He may be feeling kind of restless, Mm. but it's still not reasonable and it's still hurtful to you. Are you the only daughter? No, I have an older sister, but she's not even close to ever being married. Okay, so all the hopes and dreams have been put on you. kind of, yeah. And is there a world in which you talk to Nanny? There is a language barrier. So this is about your dad. I think Anna has such a nice view of it that he's losing his power in this world and he's struggling with his identity and this being the head of the family is so meaningful to him. But what's your worst case scenario? You have a wedding and your dad doesn't come? That would be worst case scenario. You know what? Honestly, I do think he would come. I think he was angry in the moment. However, at the end of the day, it's, I don't know if we invite these people or we don't invite these people. We're probably leaning to not inviting these people. Is he going to hold it against me? Forever? Yeah. <laughs> Has he been indoctrinated into the cost of throwing a wedding? I don't think he's up to date on that. No. That's a great point, Julie. You might want to share a little spreadsheet with him. There's a per capita, per head cost yeah that is pretty out of control that's the salmon or steak baby oh boy (laughs) it gets real real pricey really fast yeah having a wedding your dad not showing would be the worst is that worse than you guys eloping or doing something very private no so my dad not showing up at the wedding it would be worse us eloping would probably be better at like that point okay that would be better you have it in your back pocket Yeah. It is an option. What would that mean to you if you guys just, I hate the word elope because it sounds like you're running away, but like if you guys just quietly got married. We're actually leaning towards that more and more. We were thinking just with the cost of planning a wedding, like we just bought a house. So it's like, let's use that money towards our house and like go on a trip to Hawaii or something. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, that sounds so much better to us at this point with all this family drama. Oh my God. Yes. Yes. Because that's money that is gone. I remember walking down the aisle at my wedding and looking at the flowers and they were out of control. Beautiful. But going, this is 10 minutes. That's how many thousands of dollars? Like, it gutted me to think about better ways to spend that money. I agree. And if you're having family conflict, throw a housewarming party, invite everybody. Sarah, I think Julie's totally right. Like, if it makes you smile to think about eloping, if that element feels like a relief to you, then listen to that. Because it'd be one thing if he was paying for it, you know, your dad. Yeah. If you could... Sit down with your fiance and say, let's attempt to take my dad out of this equation. What brings a smile to our faces when we think about our wedding, how we want to remember it? Contemporary weddings are ridiculous because you're basically throwing a party for three plus generations of people. 
nobody's weddings are really that much fun for everybody sometimes, but very rarely. What is the thing that you're most afraid of missing if you didn't have a wedding? I actually just talked to a coworker about this. I guess I don't want to look back 10 years from now and be like, oh, I should have had a wedding. You will not. This is like the New Year's Eve and prom (laughs) syndrome. Exactly. I don't know what exactly I would miss from a wedding. I mean, like I said, I don't like a lot of attention on myself to begin with. I'm not fantasizing about walking down the aisle. I've never really done that. So yeah, I guess I just don't want to look back and regret it, but I can't say that I would. By the way, you can have a wedding later. Yeah. Totally. You can have a wedding with three kids there. Yeah. You know, you're already married and you renew your vows and you have all your friends. No one's going to ever stop you if you're like regret. But Anna, can you imagine regretting no. not spending a bunch of money on a wedding? You have the entire life to look forward to and to save money for. Mm -hmm. The idea of burning it all on a wedding is so crazy. I know. I do understand that if you are of the personality type that does imagine that moment, then that is totally fair. But if you recognize that it's not a priority, I would think about the things that would make you smile. Do you want pictures of you wearing the white dress with him? You can have that. You can have that without all the people. Yeah, you don't have to have a ceremony to have the pictures taken. Right. You have to kind of rank what matters the most to you and figure out if those things can be achieved without making three generations of different families happy at the same time. Because it's nearly impossible. (laughs) It's hard when something this dramatic has happened this early. Mm-hmm. That could be indicative of, oh God, it's just starting right now because the tendency seems to be for people to really show their hands at a wedding. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. So just keep it in mind. It doesn't mean you have to make any decisions around that, but. I can see why right now it's probably hard to feel excited about something that you really want to feel excited about. Yeah, like anytime like people will be like, oh, how's the wedding planning going? Like I instantly just clam up and get quiet. Yeah. How many weddings have you gone to? I've gone to a few. However, the last one I went to was six years ago. Okay. Very few weddings stick in your mind and you're like, that was the greatest night of everybody's lives, including the people who are getting married. Ask your friends too or close to you, would you have eloped to avoid this? I mean, I have talked friends out of weddings. We got married for $62. They're like, well, we only have $5,000 to spend on the flowers and we have $10,000. And I'm like, why are you spending all this money when you don't have any money? You're trying to buy a house. Just love each other. What is the thing you want? You want the pretty dress? You can get the dress. You can have the pictures. You can even go on a beautiful vacation. You do not have to have all of the gold back chairs that are, you know, $20 in each. And then, oh, I also wanted them to have cushions and the cushions have to match. It's like the funeral industry. It's insane. And it just becomes more stressful than anything for things that, honestly, I don't really concern myself with. Right. So are you getting any enjoyment out of picking cutlery? Honestly, like a couple of venues that I looked at, they said that tablecloths were included and I got excited that I wouldn't have to spend extra money on decorations. Oh, Sarah, I want to make this nice for you. How long has it been since you've talked to your dad? 
about three weeks. Oh, I'm sorry. God, he is really upset. It's painful. Why? Why did he choose this channel? This is weird. I'm really sorry. Stay close to your mom. Protect yourself a little bit. You know what I mean? Maybe give him some time. I was hoping it wouldn't have been quite as long as three weeks. If you have extra money to burn to make other people happy, then have a wedding. If you don't have extra money to burn and you're not trying to make everybody in the world happy, just make yourselves happy. And that's it. Do you guys have a dream honeymoon? Yeah, honeymoon. This is the important part. Yeah, like I've always wanted to go to Dubai, but I think we're going to go someplace a little bit easier. (laughs) Um, I know he really wants to go to Hawaii. So we would probably do something like that. Truly, like right now, there's a smile on your face. Well, I really like going on trips too. So that makes me, let's just go on a trip. Totally. And you'll have a lot more money for it. Sarah, I do believe your father is behaving pretty childishly. Yeah, so do I. And so does my partner. And yeah, we don't appreciate it. For your own sense of happiness, I would truly like be in the service industry a little bit right now with him. Just slightly patronizing, you know, like, okay, dad, yeah, you can say, you know, we're just trying to figure out our budget right now. Yeah, that's good. And hopefully he gets the point. I don't want to talk about it. It would be so different if he was offering to pay. Oh, for sure. If I had unlimited money, then by all means, invite whoever you want. Right. (laughs) Yeah. But it's not. He has nothing to back this anchor up with. No, he doesn't. No. And a wedding is not a marriage. You're not being sold for 42 camels. There's not a dowry that's exchanging hands. This isn't an agreement between two warring nation states. It's really just an agreement between you, your fiance, and the government. Yeah. Does your mom call you a lot stressed out about it? She doesn't talk to me about it. Okay. Like the last time I was there, which would have been the three weeks ago, she was very upset, which I could tell, but she is on my side. Oh, okay. I just wanted to make sure that she wasn't like, oh, your father's so mad. Will you please? You know what I mean? When I talk to my mom, like we don't mention my dad. You so don't need to have a wedding with this kind of tension going on. You get to do what you want. You're a grown-ass woman. As long as you do it kindly and with love and are really open, you get to do whatever you effing want. Yeah, that's what I'm realizing. I'm really happy for you, though. Congratulations. Thank you. Prioritize the honeymoon or whatever happens or make it just a honeymoon or however you guys want to go about it. But if you guys love to travel, I always think the honeymoon is super essential. This was super helpful. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. You're going to get married. I know. It's crazy. It's going to be rad. It will be. Yes. I'm really happy for you guys. Good luck to you. Thank you. Thanks, Sarah. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you. Wow, that was awesome. Julie, you're amazing. Oh, you're so nice. You really are. Anna, you are such a joy. I feel like we've been in the same room a thousand times. This has been such a pleasure. And I love that you found a way to be safely alone with somebody because I think that's my dream. I love you. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much. Bye, Julie. 